Good evening, hushlings, and welcome. I present your preceptors to the underbelly of the void, the whispers of conjecture, and the known of the unknown. Thus begins the conclave of the Hush Hush Society. There's a hundred billion stars in the galaxy Why is it we haven't seen Proof of life beyond our earth We're alone out here, that really hurts It hurts, but that's firm paradox Paradox exceedingly rare and you wouldn't hardly see it anywhere or maybe intelligence is sparse so no one's sailing among the stars that would hurt that's a firm paradox paradox Greetings, Hushlings. Welcome back to the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. Where we journey into the world of conspiratorial mysteries and dark truths. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike. And as always, we're joined by our junior astrophysicist, Slick Frog Sanders. I know nothing about space, time, nor the void. I am Slick Frog Sanders. Mike, Dave. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning. How are you, gentlemen? Hello, sir. Rare form today, rare form. How are we doing, guys? Uh, how was everybody's turkey day? The turkeys were gobbling. We were gobbling. Everybody was gobbling. We got stuffed proper. Oh, jeez. All right, Hushtillians. We're going to do something that we have not done ever, and something that we've been talking about since, uh, I think, season two we wanted to do this topic it just never fit in welcome to a break in the void of radio silence amongst the universe astronauts you're in orbit in today's debriefing we'll be swallowed whole by the perplexing enigma posed by enrico fermi way back in the 1950s and as we journey through the stars and imagine the vast never-endingness of it all we'll be asking the question Where the fuck is everyone? Just like Fermi did all those years ago. Join us as we unravel the mystery of the Fermi paradox today, where we'll explore possible explanations to the question, advancements that have been made in the search for life, and probably end up in an existential crisis about our positioning amongst the void of space. The cosmos is a vast and expansive hosting an unimaginable number of planets that orbit stars beyond our solar system. These distant worlds exist at a staggering distance, and new discoveries continue to expand our understanding. Billions and billions and billions and billions. Proper Sagan from Declassified Dave. But before we find out how absolutely alone we are in the 
black void nothingness of existence where our life is just a speck among the cosmic dust of bullshit. Make sure you follow us on all our social medias, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And as always, we enjoy those reviews. Hit us up. Five stars. Nothing less. We'll come after you. We'll find you. And Hushlings, as always, check out www.hushhushsociety.com, the one-stop shop for your boys. Episodes just like this one. Merchandise on our wonderful Etsy store with beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Dapper Drip. On top of blogs, guest profiles for people that we've had on the show, as well as the direct link to our Rockfin. If you're watching this now, you already got it. Correct. If you're watching this now, you're an absolute real one. You already know about the Rockfin. And if you're not watching this, then you should probably go find that link on our website that Dave was talking about. Because on rockfin.com, you can find all of our episode debriefings. You can find the declassified discussions. You can chat amongst yourselves in the comments. You can hit the subscribe bell and uh, the, the notification bell and all the buttons and the doohickeys that have to do with our channel. Go ahead and check it out. Also, before we get going, uh, Hushtillians, we want to thank you. We have hit 400,000 downloads. We are uh, thrilled to hit that number as we just hit 300,000 uh, back in the summer. So hopefully the sky's the limit and we can get to millions and millions and billions of downloads pretty soon. But thank you for your listenership, your patronage, and all the support over the last three plus years. We could not have done this without your uh, cult membership. All right, let's jump into the paradox, shall we? Many of these exoplanets are believed to have conditions suitable for sustaining life. It seems likely that intelligent life may exist on one, if not many of them. However... Despite ongoing exploration, we have yet to encounter any extraterrestrial beings. And I think if we did, we'd try to fuck them. And in turn, they've not made any contact with us. Now, I really wanted to ask this question, especially getting into this episode, and it pertains to something that I just said. Boys, how apt would you be to uh, getting all up in an alien, especially if it was sexy? Not hard. They have like three different models on Fleshlight.com. Bro, I can't even imagine the amount of orifices that I would get to have my way with. On some Dig Dug shit, on some Whack-A-Mole type shit, I am, dude, every orifice. What if an alien's orifice has a vagina within a vagina? But where's the mouth? What if it's got teeth? Then, then I'm out. Fucking out. You wouldn't know until you were in it. Dude, like... Gummy bear teeth, you know? Gummy bear teeth. <laughs> that probably wouldn't be that bad. That's what I'm saying. Our quest for understanding the cosmos has spanned decades, marked by never-ending efforts in space exploration. This is fueled by two motives, the desire to unravel the mysteries of the universe, as well as the intention to eventually colonize planets beyond Earth. Another goal humanity keeps in mind when it comes to exploration to space is to make contact with other intelligent life forms that may be on their own exploration endeavors amongst the stars themselves. The curiosity about how other intelligent life utilize their time remains a driving force 
and our exploration of the cosmos. I like to imagine a civilization where their cream of the crop amongst the citizens is determined upon how good of a balsa wood model airplane they can design. (laughs) You know, what if they're just out there making balsa wood airplanes? We don't know. It's true. I mean, you could, there could be a civilization out there that's very much like earth and they're all competing to like, who's got the best train set. Pinewood Derby. Pinewood Derby. In 1950, during a casual lunch chat with colleagues, the Nobel Prize winning physicist Enrico Fermi, very cool name, brought up the topic of extraterrestrial life. He held the belief that the universe was likely flooded with advanced civilizations. But after giving the idea more thought, Fermi became a bit stumped. Hmm, 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 hmm. Considering the vast number of these civilizations, he wondered why, if they existed, none had visited us. Scientists have suggested that an intelligent civilization could evolve and develop over approximately 10 million years. And given that timeline of the universe, which exceeds 10 times that duration, Fermi wondered why there hadn't been a single alien society that had shown itself. What's your guys' opinion on this? Before we we get real deep into this, if science is right and the reality is correct of our physical realm when it comes to the universe with planets and space and stars and whatnot, if you were going to observe or even interact with another species like we do, we have zoos where you have those species know they're interacting with us because we're taking care of them. They see us. They've got people taking pictures. It's like that. But then there's other species that we do interact with on our own planet that don't know we're there. If you were that advanced to where you did have interstellar travel, dimensional travel, whatever means of travel, would you let it be known and feed them? Or would you... Just watch. Does a microscopic life form know we're looking at it under a microscope? One, you have the argument it's single cell. So it might not have, you know, obviously what we have or like a cat or a dog or, you know, other animals that definitely have some type of awareness to their surroundings. My personal thought before we get into all this is there's got to be many, many of these. And According to the conspiratorial world that we got, we're in contact with them. And we might even be byproducts of them. But that's here nor there. I'm in the vein of two different things. So let's say that we are obviously somewhere in the middle, if all these civilizations exist. We are somewhere in the middle of that evolutionary chain. So there are civilizations that are less developed than we are, and there are civilizations that are vastly more advanced than we are. To use your analogy, if you're talking about animals, mostly insects, I always like to compare it to like ants. Let's say that you are the ant. Are you aware of humans walking around you unless, of course, they're hovering right above you or walking above you? Are they part of your world? Is the average ant who lives in the middle of a field somewhere, in the middle of nowhere, aware of human beings? 
if your analogy is in reference to where the ants and the extraterrestrials are the humans, yes, we're aware of the possibility of the humans. We can't see them, but we're we're aware of the concept of them. We're aware of the concept of them, but that's only because we created the concept of them. So technically, True. if the concept of them was never created in the first place, it would be something that we would never even think of. So think of before the early 1900s, before Roswell, before the introduction of the study of space or the thought of civilization somewhere off in distant space. Think of like medieval times. Did they ever think, oh yeah, there's people coming from space. There's people that live in the sky above us or exist in other realms. They didn't have the concept of that, of aliens or extraterrestrials in that aspect. You ask Graham Hancock, he'll tell you otherwise. Well, also, you got, you got to remember too, Galileo was born in 1564. So space was definitely a concept, but just dumb it down into scale. If we're talking about the scale of the universe, the scale of the galaxy, the scale of just the solar system, dumb it down a little bit to even just on the planet. There are still tribes and groups of people on this planet that do not know we fucking exist. Mm -hmm. So like something as small as a ball that's 8,000 miles wide and 24,000 miles in circumference. And there's still groups of people that have been doing the same thing that they've been doing for a thousand, maybe more. No idea that the tea kettle exists, you know, something that's that's hundreds of years old. We live in a society that has exponential change on a daily basis. And like North Sentinel Island, for example, that's the one where you go there and they'll fucking spear you to death because they're like, what the fuck is this? On the other end of it, there could quite possibly be other civilizations that obviously exist that are more advanced than us, but maybe they don't have space technology. Maybe they don't have the ability to travel those distances. If there is an advanced civilization, maybe that's not something that they are focused on, especially if they've created a civilization that is self-sufficient. It's a utopia. They don't war. They don't fight. They don't, you know, so they have no real concept or need or desire to travel to other places or to explore the cosmos because they live within that sphere of tranquility let's say or peace that's true because the reason why we would look for something else is not only just i guess you could argue our inherent human aspect of exploration but we're always searching for something more and something else we need and right now in our society finding somewhere else in space is almost a necessity just to keep the species going so essentially, the endless amount of chances for advanced civilizations to emerge raises a puzzling question about why we haven't made contact with extraterrestrial beings. The foundation of Fermi's paradox is built on this question. Besides asking the questions that would go on to kick off organizations like SETI, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, Fermi is also known for his key role in creating the world's first nuclear reactor. Good for him. And it was known as the Chicago Pile 1. 
The man has been acknowledged as both the architect of the nuclear age and the mind behind the atom bomb. Thank you. We appreciate you. God bless. God bless. Fermi earned the 1938 Nobel Prize in Physics for his groundbreaking contributions to radioactivity and the discovery of transuranium elements, which are both crucial components in nuclear weaponry. In World War II, Fermi joined the Manhattan Project, the U.S.-led project tasked with the development of the first nuclear weapons. Operating under the guidance of J. Robert Oppenheimer, Fermi played a massive role in that whole ordeal and later even testified at Oppenheimer's 1954 hearing. What was the hearing about? What did it like pertain to like Hiroshima and stuff like that because they created that bomb? Or? It was a secu- security ha- hearing conducted oh, wow. by the United States Atomic Energy Commission over four weeks in 1954, explored the background actions and associations with Oppenheimer. So they were pretty much just trying to make sure that he uh, was working for the United States and nobody else. With the Nazis. Yeah. Yeah. Nazis okay. too. Now, Fermi basically dropped his paradox and just dipped the fuck out. He actually died in 1954, ironically. A decade later, planetary scientist Dr. Frank Drake, great name, presented the popular Drake equation. Now, if you don't know what the Drake equation is, it is the mathematical attempt to estimate the number of advanced extraterrestrial civilizations within our galaxy. According to the formulation described in the Encyclopedia Britannica, it involves several factors that Mike is going to explain to you in mathematical language that none of us are going to understand. We're going to make it easy though. Mike, you're going to push through this formula and then we're going to break it down. R equals 10 slash year. FP equals 0.5. NE equals two. FL equals one. FIFC equals 0.01. Thus N equals L dash 10. Did you guys get that? I knew you would. Hushlings are smart. Let's start with R. R is the mean rate of star formation in the galaxy, so that is estimated to be 10 per year. Really? So only 10 stars form in the galaxy per year. Does that change in different areas of different gravity, though? I would imagine. I don't know. Maybe that's average? I'm just going off of, like, Matthew McConaughey and what he talked about in Interstellar. You got to ask Frank Drake. P being the fraction of stars with planetary systems assumed to be 0.5, so one half. And E being the number of planets in such systems that are ecologically sustainable for the origin of life, which is set at two. So that's two per every five so far? Is that what we're getting at? Yep. Okay. FL is the fraction of such planets where life actually develops, which is given the value of one. So we're down to one. We're down to one. One planet per 10, correct? Where life actually develops. All right, Hushlings, continuing. FI is the fraction of such planets where life evolves into an intelligent life form, presumed to be one. Then we get to the FC, the fraction of worlds in which the intelligent life form invents high technology capable of interstellar radio communication, which is assigned a value of How they came to that, I am not sure. The equation ends with N, 
representing the potential number of advanced civilizations calculated as L, the average lifetime of such advanced civilizations, divided by 10. Can we break this down simpler? Because what's the actual, like... Essentially, what he did was come up with an equation to see how many stars would form within the galaxy, how many of them would host hospitable planets of those hospitable planets, which were capable of holding intelligent life, how long it would take those civilizations to become intelligent life and civilized, and then how long those advanced civilizations would last. Which makes sense, but everything that Mike just said as a possibility or as a value, all of those values can be manipulated. So depending on, say the fraction of planets where life can develop will completely alter the entirety of the equation, just like the rest of the values. If you were to alter any of those values that he instituted, it's going to come out with a different result of how many advanced civilizations could come out of the universe, essentially. Moving forward, the equation serves as a theoretical framework for considering the factors that may influence the existence of intelligent extraterrestrial life, as well as the potential for communication with the said civilizations. Now, the equation is dependent on a wide set of variables. For example, if it were to be predicted that civilizations typically destroy themselves within a decade of radio astronomy, a defining marker of an advanced civilization, So there's this scale of measuring civilizations. It's called the Kardashev scale, and it was by Soviet astronomer Nikolai Kardashev. And in the 60s, he figured out a scale of planetary civilizations. There's type zero, which is a civilization that extracts its energy, raw materials, crude organic based sources, food, wood, fossil fuels, has the pressures of natural disasters, resource exhaustion, kind of where we're at right now. And then there's type one, which is able to access all energy available to its planet for consumption, control natural events, earthquakes, volcanic eruptions, the weather. Also kind of where we're at now, there's type two, which can directly consume a star's energy, most likely through a Dyson sphere. And a Dyson sphere would be like uh, pretty much a structure built around a star to harness the energy from the star burning inside of it. Yes. Uh, Type three civilization is able to capture all energy emitted by its galaxy and every object within it, such as a star, black hole, and pretty much anything. So right now we are kind of, I think Michio Akaku had said it in an interview, but we are in the middle of being a type zero to type one civilization. And uh, if you believe what happened in Maui, the earthquakes in Christchurch, we probably are like a a 1.5 civilization right now, which is pretty primitive on that scale. Yeah, we can barely make it to our own moon, let alone to other planets. Back to this equation, if it's assumed that 1% of civilizations figure out a way to live with that technology without destroying themselves first, obviously, you don't want to, you know, fuck yourself over, then there could be millions of advanced alien civilizations out there, and the nearest are just a few hundred light years away. 
When Drake presented his equation, it was estimated there were somewhere between a thousand and a hundred million civilizations in the observable universe. That's a range. That's quite a range. These estimates vary widely because the only variables scientists know for sure are the rates of star formation and the number of exoplanets in the galaxy. They are sure of that, I guess. We're not even equating like another galaxy that's like a nearby galaxy like Andromeda. They're taking that into account as the exploration continues. As new information comes into play, there is a reevaluation of the Drake equation. For example, in 2016, there was a slew of new exoplanets that were discovered that prompted a reevaluation of the Drake equation. Scientists taking into account the newfound information concluded that human civilization would be likely to stand alone in the cosmos only if the chances of a civilization developing on a habitable planet were less than approximately 1 in 10 billion trillion. Some big numbers. Some big numbers. Those aren't even real numbers. They're just on the brink of, like, unimaginable. It's a lot of zeros. I don't know. A billion is pretty unimaginable. Yeah. With such slim odds, researchers told NASA officials that there was a strong possibility that alien civilization had indeed developed somewhere else in the universe. In an interview with NASA, professor of physics and astronomy at the University of Rochester, Adam Frank, said, quote, Of course, we have no idea how likely it is that an intelligent technological species will evolve on a given habitable planet. He goes on to say, but using our method, we can tell exactly how low that probability would have to be for us to be the only civilization the universe has produced. We call that the pessimism line. Yeah, it's pretty pessimistic. If the actual probability is greater than the pessimism line, then a technological species and civilization has likely happened before. End quote. And Graham Hancock makes this. I mean, like, not even on another planet, just our planet. That something else, someone else, biologically the same, maybe spiritually, morally, ethically different, and technologically different. We use uh, superconductors and silicone and all that other stuff, and another technology could use sound resonance and stone, which is what we're looking at in our own history you got to really look down before you look up with what the possibility is and the immense possibilities in my mind of what's happened here. And we still like are arguing with each other left and right over how they built the fucking pyramids, something that simple and complex at the same time. So I want to throw a theory out there and uh, it's kind of an out there theory. There's really no basis behind it, honestly, but it's fun to think about. What if we existed as humans, as this current iteration of evolution existed throughout the galaxy, throughout the universe in many different ways, and we were just a completely destructive civilization? I mean, we would go to planet from planet to planet and just 
reap the resources, destroy the land, destroy everything, make it uninhabitable, and then just move on. And over and over and over again, we did this. And then, just one day, other civilizations, other extraterrestrials, they just got sick of our shit. And they found out that we landed on Earth, and they came, and they just bombed the fuck out of us. And they were like, well, we're going to send you back to the Stone Age, literally. And they were like, this is how we're going to trap them. We're going to trap them on this planet, and they're not going to know how to get off of it, and they're going to have to start from zero, and we're going to leave them there for as long as it takes. And then we'll come back in a couple million years, whenever they develop more space travel, and we'll come back and we'll destroy them again. We'll start over again, and we'll do it over and over and over again. Not much optimism there for what's going on right now. (laughs) But again, just think about it. Like We talk about old civilizations, Atlantis. We talk about old cities, old settlements, the way that we look at the ancients and the way that we look at the history of the possible history of human beings on this planet and the possibility of us at one time being more advanced than we are now. Who's to say that we weren't fucking set back on purpose because we were shitbags. Honestly, we're shitbags now. But at the same time, who's to say that the rest of the advanced civilizations that exist throughout the cosmos aren't also shitbags? They might not be on that sort of moral high horse to where we got to keep them on their fucking prison planet. But on the other end of it, if you follow the natural progression of evolution within a civilization or within a species, as they become more evolved, they become less warmongering. So who's to say that these other civilizations aren't highly advanced and highly technical, and they have reached this level of some of them maybe not having even physical bodies, some of them thinking every planet that you go to needs to be a utopia and they're spreading knowledge throughout the universe and they're trying to help other civilizations lift themselves up. And in this scenario, we were the shitbags and we were the ones that were going around and fucking it up. And they were like, look, you got to stop doing this. And we didn't listen. We came to earth, repeat the process. I hear where you're coming from, and I think it's a possibility. I think it's valid. But I also think it's just as valid that where we'll be at, like, 300 years from now, where we're raping and pillaging the cosmos, that might be, like, the pinnacle of it. That might be the end-all, be-all. And there might be hundreds, if not thousands, of uh, other civilizations doing that same exact thing. If we do what we do... There's definitely something else that has higher capabilities with destruction and malice. If we're doing what we're doing here on our own rock, which the way we treat it doesn't seem like it's our home. It just seems like it's a rental property. You got people who move into apartments and just absolutely fucking trash them. And that's just a small example. This is a a very deep topic. What if there's lots of us out there? Like Graham Hancock says, we're a species with amnesia. We forgot. Isn't that why, like, out of all the quote unquote 67 extraterrestrial civilizations that are uh, allegedly known by conspiratorial areas and ex-government people, that a good portion of them are humanoid? 
could that just be the the movement of evolution? Like we have gills on our throats. That could just be the like you said, the movement of evolution, how biology works. This just could be one of those pivoting points in how biological entities manifest themselves. It could just be a cyclical thing and we destroyed ourselves because that type of object, like a computer, wouldn't last. Tons of fun hypotheticals. Absolutely. Hushlings will return after this short message. Welcome back to the magical world of Disney, Hushketeers. There are numerous theories involving the beloved family-pleasing enterprise. Some are more ridiculous and absurd than others. Some may hold truth, but some are even darker than you ever imagine. We've talked about Walt's frozen head, the smellalizer, secret clubs, and rooms, but you need to go further. There have been rumors on the internet and in the media that Walt Disney was an anti-Semite. Is there satanic symbolism and evidence of witchcraft within their films and stories? Are they promoting an agenda like gender ideology and other issues? The Dark Side of Disney, Part 2. Streaming everywhere. Monday, December 11th. Welcome back to the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. Moving forward, other scientists have posed answers to the Fermi Paradox. Michael Hart wrote an article titled An Explanation for the Absence of Extraterrestrials on Earth. It was published in the Royal Astronomical Society Quarterly Journal in 1975. Hart suggested that aliens don't exist because we can't see them. He also outlined four potential explanations for the Fermi Paradox. I mean, that's a good explanation. You can't see it. It doesn't exist. It's kind of like what Mike was said with ants. They're underground. They don't exist. But if they are above ground, they exist. You see them out of sight, out of mind. Mm -hmm. All right. Some of the bullets to his explanation, one of the four, is aliens never came here because of the difficulty that made, quote, space travel infeasible, end quote, which could be related to astronomy, biology, or engineering. A lot going on there. There's also advanced civilizations beyond Earth arose too recently for aliens to reach us. Third, we have aliens have visited Earth in the past, but we have not had the chance to observe them. And fourth, aliens simply chose never to visit us. All of these points are, are definitely good reasons. Space travel for us is technically physically infeasible right now. We couldn't go anywhere. Advanced civilizations beyond Earth arose too recently for aliens to reach us. Also a good point, because if we have, like, according to Graham Hancock... If there was an advanced civilization, we're only going back 12,000 years. That's not a lot in space-time. Aliens have visited Earth in the past, but we have not observed them. Could be their technological prowess, and we don't have that. So we are unable to see them. And a lot of times when it comes to the whole, what if they're cloaking? I mean, something as simple as that. And then, obviously, like what we just said, aliens simply chose never to visit us because we are garbage. We're going to end up on some Wally shit, dude. We're going to end up on some Wally shit. We're going to make the planet uninhabitable. 
We're going to yep. leave a bunch of robots here to clean up yep. after our mess while we ship ourselves out to the stars on some like Cosmos cruise ship. We'll be bags of pudding playing Candy Crush and we'll we'll shoot little probes back down to Earth to see if it's habitable again. All right, let's talk about SETI for a minute. And if you don't know who SETI is, SETI is the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, and it refers to the collaborative scientific mission aimed at finding evidence of intelligent life beyond our planet. The goal of SETI is to address the fundamental question, do we inhabit the universe alone? The start of SETI efforts traces back to the early 1900s, shortly after the invention of the radio, when the idea emerged that the radio waves could serve as a means to contact potential extraterrestrial civilizations. The first SETI experiment, known as Project Ozma, took place in 1960 under the leadership of Frank Drake. Back at it again with the famous equation. Utilizing a 26-meter diameter radio telescope, the project aimed to listen in on two stars in the search for extraterrestrial signals. Unfortunately, no noteworthy findings were recorded during this initial endeavor. In 1971, NASA formed a SETI study, and in 1977, the Ohio State SETI program made world headlines when it uncovered an ultra-strong 72-second radio signal on a telescope. It was known as the WOW signal. Some of you may have heard of it. The famous name of the signal was due to an image of the signal printed out and the phrase WOW scribbled in its margin. The signal is thought to be the closest we've come to receiving any sort of communications from outer space. However, research papers have since claimed that the controversial signal was the sound of a passing comet. In our quest for extraterrestrial life, humans have actively transmitted signals into space, including the Arecibo signal, an important message in space history. Created by Frank Drake, this digital transmission served as a sort of cheat sheet for humanity. The signal detailed fundamental information such as the numbers 1 through 10, the basic chemistry of life on Earth, the structure of DNA, Earth's population, a graphic representation of the solar system, as well as a human figure, and details about its dish dimensions. This message was directed towards the star cluster M13 situated about 21,000 light years away. Another effort called A Message from Earth involved sending a time capsule in 2008 containing 501 messages from people around the world. These messages selected through a competition on Bebo, an absolutely ancient social media, were aimed at the exoplanet Galice 581c. Do we know why they pointed it at that? Is that where we got a signal before? It's in a Goldilocks zone. Okay. Of that solar system. So habitable, I guess, but not necessarily. We haven't done like scans on whether there's water or ice, okay. but it's it's in a Goldilocks zone. This time capsule is anticipated to reach Galice 581 system in 2029. The same time Apophis is supposed to get super close to us and fucking murder us all. <laughs> Is that that asteroid that's like the size of the Empire State Building? I think it's bigger than that, but yeah. Yeah? It's pretty big. Yeah. 
it's gonna come real close in between us and the moon which is pretty close hey nice. if gravity exists we'll know that we'll know that day right <laughs> you know <laughs> it'll be contributing to humanity's ongoing attempts to establish contact with potential extraterrestrial civilizations one of the most disturbing solutions to the Fermi paradox is known as the Great Filter. Economist Robin Hansen first proposed the theory in the late 1990s, suggesting that even the case that life formed abundantly in our own galaxy, any extraterrestrial species would eventually face a barrier to its survival or destroy itself. And that could be simmered down even to the civilizations that we've seen here on Earth, like Rome, the Egyptians, the Mongolians, all of the great empires. Oh, well, pertaining to this destruction that we previously talked about, it could come from outside of this said society's control. Now, that could be anything like asteroids, weather events, uh, COVID-19, their planet exploding, Joe Biden, uh, Israel bombing us, uh, viruses, climate crisis through the burning of fossil fuels, the made-up Green New Deal, whatever. Some of these possible outcomes sound all too familiar. Nukes, baby! In 2018, new research from Oxford University's Future of Humanity Institute played around with the Drake equation and found that there was actually an extremely high chance that we're all alone in the visible universe, somewhere between 38 and 85%. It also found that there was a 53 to 99.6% chance that we are completely alone in our Milky Way galaxy. Those are not very confident odds. Ah! The low ends are that they're confident. The low ends. They're both one's fifty three and one's thirty eight. It's basically half probable still. I mean a quarter to a half, yeah. Somewhere around there. Another interesting possibility of ET life staying so hush hush would be the dark forest theory. Titled after the novel The Dark Forest by Lucician. The plot of the book, the second in a series, involves questions of how to best make first contact with a potentially hostile alien civilization. Bomb those bitches. To summarize the theory, all life wants nothing more than to stay alive. And there's really no way to know if other intelligent life forms out there can or will destroy you if given the chance. Ultimately, the safest option for any species would be to annihilate any other life forms before said life forms have the opportunity to do the same. So, uh, you know, first strike, first strike. You got to go for it. This theory would support any advanced civilizations out there staying radio silent. It's best understood by hearing an excerpt directly from the book. The quote goes... The universe is a dark forest. Every civilization is an armed hunter stalking through the trees like a ghost, gently pushing aside branches that block the path and trying to tread without a sound. Even breathing is done with care. The hunter has to be careful because everywhere in the forest are stealthy hunters like him. If he finds another life, another hunter, angel, or a demon, 
a delicate infant to a tottering old man, a fairy or a demigod, there's only one thing he can do, open fire and eliminate them, end quote. That's pretty human. Another very similar analogy is propped up in the novel The Killing Star by Charles Pellegrino and George Zabrowski, published in 1955. Now, this book says, quote, imagine yourself taking a stroll through Manhattan, somewhere north of 68th Street, deep inside Central Park, late at night. Probably not the place to be. (laughs) It would be nice to meet someone friendly, but you know the park is dangerous at night. That's when the monsters come out. There's always a strong undercurrent of drug dealings, muggings, and occasional homicides, end quote. Quote goes on to say, it's not easy to distinguish the good guys from the bad guys. They dress alike and the weapons are concealed. The only difference is intent, and you can't read minds. Stay in the dark long enough and you may hear an occasional distant shriek or blunder across a body. How do you survive the night? The last thing you want to do is shout, I'm here. The next to last thing you want to do is reply to someone who shouts, I'm a friend. I am the government and I'm here to help. (laughs) You know, so, so, so that brings up another question. So if we do receive, and I think it's something that we've all kind of thought about, especially when you get these random radio signals that come from out in space, but, You do receive one of those messages. Do you respond to it? Because you don't know who's sending that message. You don't know who's on the other end of it. And on the other side of it, the messages that we're sending out, maybe those civilizations are thinking the same thing, which is why we're all staying distance from each other. Because if you are saying, hey, we're right here, is that a trap for somebody Is that way to destroy your own civilization in search of another civilization? Or on the other end of it, are you having malintent for other civilizations by trying to call them out of hiding or them out of wherever they are or them letting you know their location? And then you go there and you fuck them up. That really could be the case is that there's just a bunch of civilizations that maybe are keeping to themselves because they don't want other civilizations knowing where they are. Well, that would imply that they've been through war or some type of hardship. Even if it's not them being through war or hardship, it possibly could just be them knowing the nature of other civilizations or them knowing that if they were to go and allow other civilizations to come to them, that maybe that would destroy the homeostasis that they've set up within their civilization or on their planet or in their group of planets, whatever it may be. They could have also evolved psychologically higher than we have to where they already know they can read minds. They already know that that civilization that group of black ants that we got that's at my feet when I get out of my car. Do you ever get out of your car for an ant colony and go, that motherfucker's going to nuke me one day? I do want to meet the person that thinks that one day ants are going to take over the world and we should decimate them now. 
There's probably one, and I hope we can get him on a declassified discussion. Please hit us up. It might be us, like, a year from now. <laughs> the <laughs> ant people. Fuck those yeah. ants. We keep bringing this up. There's also the possibility, what if the ant people have nukes? Okay. So pose this question. If there was some sort of mutation that happened within ants, and ants all of a sudden became the size of, like, Dobermans, would we kill them? <laughs> yes, we would kill them. Yes. We would absolutely kill them. Have you we, not seen Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? You Come strongly like, believe that. that. That if ants became the size of dogs, we would for sure shoot the no, shit out of them. we would want to kill them. We would try to kill them. You think we could take that? I don't know if we could take them. We could not take them. We should just have a whole episode where we talk about the possibility of ants taking over the planet. <laughs> Let's do it next, next, next exclusive January, January exclusive briefing is us talking about ant people. <laughs> the ants got us. The quote goes on to say, what would you like to do is find a policeman or get out of the park, but you don't want to make a noise or move towards a light where you might be spotted. And it's difficult to find either a policeman or your way out without making yourself known. Your safest option is to hunker down and wait for daylight and then safely walk out. There are, of course, a few obvious differences between Central Park and the universe. There are no policemen in the universe. There is no way out of the universe. And the night never ceases to end. Uh, I'm going to say in our reality, Central Park is definitely more dangerous than the universe. <laughs> Real, uh, Yeah, to us. To as, us, As yes. people. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes, well, the universe is dangerous anyways. You can get hit by a car, and it might not be in Central Park. Me, you, or Mike, we're not necessarily like space-faring citizens, so. No. Yeah, no. Central Park or the local skate park past like, you know, 11 p.m., might not be a good idea walk into the bodega looking for an eighth of that zaza yeah realistically we're just gonna get hit in the face with a yoo-hoo there's also the idea out there that the earth is just an early bird civilization well i mean that makes sense maybe we had a head start maybe we were panspermiaed or whatever you know a shot in the dark in a study dr peter behruzzi said that he compared to all the planets that will ever form in the universe, the Earth is actually pretty early. I mean, 4 billion, probably, depending on the size of the universe. It's said that the very last star will burn out around 100 trillion years from now, and that 92% of the planets are yet to be born yet. That's pretty crazy. The possibility of future civilizations could be eons away. Can you imagine another human race, like... 10,000 years, 100 million years from now, we're just us living our our lives on this prison planet. Stuck in the never-ending soul cycle. That would be some <laughs> real shit. Well, lastly, we need to take into account our capabilities scientifically as humans. The distance to the edge of the observable universe is a whopping are you ready for it? 46.5 billion light years away. Eh. We've only been able to scan for radio signals up to 40,000 light years out. 
which doesn't even surpass the borders of the Milky Way galaxy where we live. It's worth taking into account that an advanced civilization might just be out of our technological reach, and vice versa. Viable points there. Viable points. All right, Hushlings, let's get into our Reddit section. Let's see what we got for Reddit. In the subreddit r-science-fiction, user r-supra-gummy-bear posts an interesting point. The post was titled Fermi Paradox and Disease, and they said, I was sort of kind of concepting a hard sci-fi story in my head, and I thought about how disease would play a significant role in how aliens would interact with each other. I'm thinking about War of the Worlds, where the alien invasion is subverted because of us, clean human mammals. Also a mention of the Andromeda strain. I was thinking about how two exotic forms of life would self-destruct like matter, antimatter. Continues, it just seems plausible that if two aliens meet, they end up as blood goop like the iron oxide-tainted plumes of the Blood Falls in Antarctica, especially since alien RNA has a high chance to just rip through our immune system and biology. Even a microscopic life seems to be vulnerable, since all life on Earth has been carefully balanced with whatever happens during the boring billion. I've been Googling and chat GPTing but besides the two science fiction works mentioned above, I didn't really find a discussion around the topic. Any takers? Well, that, that makes an open-ended thought for us, and that's probably a perfect way to get to the final thoughts. All right, hushlings, boys and girls, let's get into our final thoughts. Declassified Dave, what do you got on the Fermi Paradox? I think there's a lot of civilizations that exist. Maybe that's just what I want to believe. I truly believe that there's civilizations that exist that might be at the point where we are at 100,000 years ago. And there's civilizations that exist that might be physiologically different, but very similar that could be a million years advanced or even just a couple hundred years. It, realistically, probably what's in proximity to us could realistically be something that's only a couple hundred years off. I mean, think about getting dropped off in like 1742. It would be like being on a different planet. And that's just a couple hundred years. So there's got to be something else out there. There's so much evidence in my mind. This is just opinion. But in my mind that we... uh. We came from somewhere else. There might have been some type of panspermia. There might have been some genetic encoding. Uh, there's got to be something that's smarter than us because we are the dumbest fucking thing on this planet and the smartest. I'd like to look into this a little bit more and have more conversation with it. Maybe we can do an exclusive debriefing or a part two because there are a lot more questions to be asked. Oh, when it comes to my final thoughts, I am I am in the vein, like I said in the beginning, of two different forms of thought where it is advanced civilizations don't want to talk to us, and that's just the way that it is. They have nothing to say to us. It's just the same as we have nothing to say to lower life forms within this planet itself. And also just the inability 
of there being advanced life forms to possibly reach us. Or maybe also our inability to be able to detect those life forms, even if they are here. Because we're thinking of these things as physical beings when in fact they could just be on a completely different dimensional level, or they could just not be physical beings at all. They could be specks of dust. They could be uh, plasma. They could be energy. Who knows? And we're just seeing them as little flickers of light when in fact it's an extraterrestrial. I don't think that we're alone in the universe. That would be a sad, sad fucking existence. That would be sad for us. That would be sad for the universe, really. But I'm hoping... You know, crossing my fingers that one day we get to a uh, fucking alien. Just think about if we didn't have Google Translate, if you'd be able to communicate with somebody speaking a different language on Earth. Yeah. Would you communicate? Would you openly communicate with them? Would you be the type of person to be like, I'm going to try to understand somebody who speaks Mandarin? Yeah. You know, maybe from through like strange pointing and you know physical gestures yes half the time i don't even want to understand people that speak english uh, so uh, absolutely <laughs> slick frank sanders what do you got for your final thoughts on the fermi paradox what do you think about alien fucking Frog's final thought to quote the great fox molder sign that he's got in his office i want to believe i totally want to believe that there's extraterrestrial intelligent civilizations out there but until i see it i'm not gonna believe it there's a great chance that we're alone and that great chance is rather scary there's also a slim chance that somewhere out there in the universe there is other intelligent life but that slim chance is outweighed by the fact that we're alone that's kind of where I'm sitting. I'm sitting in the basket that we might be by ourselves. And that's okay. That's all right. I think that's beautiful. I think that's gorgeous. And I think that's okay. I mean, interesting point that, that we would be alone in a vast sea of nothing. When we live on a planet, it's a vast sea of everything. It's an interesting point. That was way too deep for this show. Yeah. You just, like, broke some sort of fucking fourth wall. Right, Hushlings. That is going to do it for us on the Fermi Paradox. What did you think? Was there anything that we missed? Anything that we should have discussed? What are your thoughts about aliens and extraterrestrials? Are we alone in the void? Are we alone in the deep dark? Let us know. Reach out to us. As always, our email, contact at hushhussociety.com. Be sure to catch our next debriefing part two on Disney. That's right. If you can get enough of part one, we are back at it again with the smellalizer on December 11th. We're coming right back at you with the children eating crocodiles of Disney. Get at it. Also for you patrons going historical conspiratorial route from many, many hundreds of years back. Did King Louis have an actual older brother that was supposed to be the king and slap that motherfucker in a mask? Only on Patreon on December 21st, 2023, not 2012. 
uh, we'll be exploring the man in the iron mask only on Patreon. Do it, do it, sign up. It's getting better. Next year is going to be amazing. Our third full year on Patreon. We can't wait. Yeah, we're we're not even putting out regular debriefings anymore. Everything to public access is just garbage at this point. All the goods are on Patreon. The goods, the goods. We're no longer going to be a free show. All right, Hushlings. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We sure did. And we will see you in two weeks for our next debriefing on the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike. And I'm Sick Frank Sanders. Until our next debriefing, remember, the best kept secrets are hidden in plain sight.